What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi there, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on a supersized Squawk Pod, a truly wide-ranging interview with Starbucks founder and interim CEO, Howard Schultz. Workers in the unions and in the office. I have been unsuccessful despite everything I've tried to do to get our people back to work. You want them back. I mean, there's... You know, I there's want them back. I, I, I pleaded with them. I said I'd get on my knees. I'll do push-ups, whatever you want. Come back. And how inflation is hitting consumers in their gas tanks and in their coffee cups. When I look at gas prices at 6 and getting to $7 a gallon, uh, we are on a collision course with time in terms of how long the American consumer, American family, can continue to spend at the level they are. Plus, what Schultz thinks of his third time in the CEO role, and what happens when a well-intentioned leader gets down to business. Talking the talk and walking the walk, sooner or later walking the walk, you run into reality, and reality's a bitch. That big interview and the inflation data rocking the markets. Food prices are up, fuel prices are up, and it's all affecting our future. Former Senator Heidi Heitkamp. We're not going to have a sustainable climate policy until we have a sustainable and affordable energy policy. It's Friday, June 10th, 2022, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, fuel please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is live in Washington once again this morning. Sun coming up behind him. I like it, Andrew. Good cut. It's it not was... a new cut. It's, I had this cut yesterday. You did? The afternoon? Did. No. The light's I different had... behind you. The light's the light might you. be different. I, 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 it was, it was sticking you. out in back yesterday. So, so you had... It's a sunny a day today. That's what it is. sticking out. I had like a... Um, no, back here. Is that what they back. call it? A colic. Yes. Wow, it looks high and tight. Uh, so you, uh, so I'm wrong. I'm usually really good with hair, with with noticing. I, I apologize, with but it looks Andrew's good. Andrew's hair. You never notice mine, but okay. I, I said it the other day how good your your hair looked. Remember? Did you? And then I said I'll get in trouble for that. And uh, Penelope you never wrote it. Remember cut. when oh, Penelope yes, you wrote? noticed it because Penelope noticed. Okay. It. That's why? So. See, it's Let's like take a, a look. it's like a TV marriage and family all yeah. in one place. Extended family, right? All the spouses included. If you ever missed seeing our anchors here on the podcast, well, now you know how their hair is doing. Andrew is in D.C. because he, as you know, is also a New York Times columnist. He founded and is the editor-at-large of DealBook, a daily financial report at the Times. As one of his many, many duties, he hosted the New York Times DealBook Policy Forum in Washington. You can find the interviews and the highlights on the NYT website. But today on Squawk Pod, we're sharing Andrew's conversation with Starbucks interest CEO Howard Schultz. Now, back in March, Starbucks made a surprise announcement that CEO Kevin Johnson would be moving on from his role and that the company's founder, Howard Schultz, would be back at the helm temporarily. The morning of that news, we here at Squawk Box spoke to Starbucks board chair, Melody Hobson, who addressed switching from Kevin Johnson back 
to Howard Schultz. He's done a great job for us at Starbucks and um, really wants to move on to do something else now. And then we have this MVP, one of the greatest players in the game on the bench, so the board called him up. Fun fact, this isn't Schultz's first return to Starbucks. Back in 2008, after eight years away, he returned to the CEO role as the company was reeling from the financial crisis. His second CEO stint lasted eight years until he handed the reins to Kevin Johnson. Now he's taking the reins back again, and this time Schultz is taking a salary of $1. Schultz takes the helm at a complicated time for Starbucks when store employees are working to unionize when COVID has exacerbated the global mental health crisis and nearly knocked out coffee shop culture. Here's Andrew. Howard Schultz, thank you Hi, for Andrew. being here. It's nice to see, I have not seen you, I was thinking it was about three years in person. Yes, um, how you and, been? Uh, I've been okay, how have you been is probably the better question. I'm so glad you're here and I just wanna tell the audience the reason I wanted you to come here is to me right now, um, Starbucks and your own story mm. are a microcosm more than just about anybody and anything else that I can imagine of what's happening in this country in terms of grappling with a new world uh, post-COVID, the inflation story, the labor story with yes. unions, uh, your relationship with China. I think you're right in the middle of it. And yet the truth is you weren't gonna be in the middle of it because you weren't going to be the CEO of this company until very recently you had stepped away. So why don't we just even just start this conversation with why, why did you why come- Why am I here? Yeah, why are you here? <laughs> what happened here? Because I, and I will also just say one other thing. You are somebody, I think, uh, who spent your entire career talking about stakeholder capitalism. Yes. And that that entire concept is now being challenged in this country. And I'm hoping that you can speak to that as well. Okay. Okay, so why are you here? Is that the question? That's the question. Why, why did you come back? Well, you know, I said publicly that I came back because of my love of the company and my responsibility to our people. But there's a different reason. I came back to reinvent the role and responsibility of a public company at a time, you just explained it perfectly, where there is a cultural and political change with regard to A, the crisis of capitalism, the needs, requirements of uh, the employee in a company today, uh, the fact that, and I don't wanna be critical, but I have to be honest, that the government in many ways has have left people behind and that the role and responsibility for a business today is greater than ever before to provide our people with the proper wage, proper benefits, and a, a pathway to economic mobility, which in many ways, if you think about it, you know, in the last 50 years or so, economic mobility was a given because it was threaded to the American dream and the promise of the country. If you poll thousands of people who are working for a paycheck today, and you ask them about economic mobility and specifically about the promise of the country, for the most part, they are gonna say, it's not available to me. And if, if you ask people, uh, unfortunately, who are black or brown, they are gonna say, without question, it's not available to me, for the most part. And so I, I have come back in, in, in terms of my responsibility 
you know, we employ 300,000 people in the U.S., 400,000 people around the world. I just feel I want to reinvent the responsibility we have to kind of look, you know, if we think about the past, Starbucks created comprehensive health insurance for our people 25 years before the Affordable Care Act. Equity in the form of stock options for everyone, including part-time workers. Free college tuition. We, we can go on and on, but the truth is those benefits, as good as they are and were, are not good enough for the employee of today, primarily because Gen Z has a different view of the world and, and also because the government has not provided them with a pathway that they believe they deserve. So, so let me ask you about this. And I've been thinking, I've been is reading. helpful? I it's mean, very helpful, but I've been reading a lot of the headlines, obviously, about Starbucks. Yeah. And the relationship with labor. Yeah. And I want to know how you... I don't believe everything you read. I, I got to tell you that. Um, yeah. I want to understand how you feel about it personally. And the reason I, yeah, I, I ask is... It is can, personal. It's personal. Yeah. I would imagine, I, I read these articles and I think yeah. it must be personal for you. Uh, this is the first time you're speaking publicly about this. Yeah. And in many ways, I wonder whether you feel it's an indictment of all of this. I, I, I almost ask because I remember back in the day, you used to say that you thought if Starbucks could exceed, I hope I get this right, could yeah. exceed the expectations of the, cost, uh, of the of employee. Our people. Of our people. The employee would exceed the expectations of the customer. Yeah. And I always loved that. Yeah. But now it feels like the expectation of the employee has changed. And whether you as a company, and, and companies across yeah. the country, yeah. can exceed the expectation of the employee and do it, by the way, profitably. Yeah. Today, we went to a Starbucks community store in Anacostia, five miles from here, which is a community that unfortunately is emblematic of communities all across the country that are disenfranchised, left behind. And here's Starbucks building a store for the community. Now, we had a roundtable discussion with the manager and other people, and we were told that from 12 to 6 p.m. today, every day, there's no one on the street. Why? Because people are afraid that their children will get shot. Now, I sat there, and I just, five miles from the White House, and I don't want to be idealistic, but I know we can do better than that. But here's Starbucks, we built a store in that community, not to be profitable. We built that store to serve as a third place between home and work for that community. I don't know if that store's ever gonna make money and it doesn't matter. What we wanna do as a company is constantly try and make our people, our customers, and the community proud. Now, with regard to the union, you wanna get to that, is what's happening in America is much bigger than Starbucks. Starbucks, unfortunately, happens to be the proxy of what is happening. You're exactly right, we're in the, right in the middle of it. Because if a company as progressive as Starbucks that has done so much and is at the 100th percentile in our entire industry for benefits for our people can be threatened by a third party, that means that any company in America can. Now, I've said publicly, I'm not anti-union, but the history of unions, and you, we have to talk about this, the history of unions is based on the fact that companies in the 40s, 50s, and 60s abused their people. We're not in the coal mining business. We're not abusing our people. But the sweeping issue in the country is that the that businesses are not doing enough and the business is the enemy. And so our vision for our people and our company is we have a different vision. We don't believe that a third party should lead our people. 
And so we are in a battle for the hearts and minds of our people. And we are going to be successful because the issue is what's true. What's the truth? Now, building a great enduring company is about one thing, the currency of trust. Can you build trust with your people? Can you build trust with your customers? And so for 51 years, we've been able to do that. And now a third party is questioning that. And so the burden of proof is on us. And we will demonstrate authentic servant leadership. That's who we have been. And we will wait, wait for it. We will, re, we will reinvent. This is, this is, you asked why I'm coming back. I'm back because we have a responsibility and obligation to reinvent the role and responsibility of our company, just as we have for 50 years reinvented the Starbucks experience. And so we have to customize new benefits and we have to demonstrate to our people they can trust us. And we have to show up. Could you ever see doing that and embracing the union as part of it? No. Why not? The primary reason is we are in business to exceed the expectations of our customers. A hundred million people come into Starbucks. The customer experience will be significantly challenged and less than if a third party is integrated into our business. Because and they're not acting in good faith? Because we have, we have a different view. And, and Aaron, let's, I don't want to spend the entire time with the union. Come on. No, but just, but I, just, I just want to understand it because there's headlines every day yeah. about this at Starbucks, but this is everywhere else as well, Amazon and, and others. But I think there's a, there's a focus on is there, is there a way for companies and unions potentially to work together? And, and you know, given how progressive your company has been, there's lots of people who look at, at, at Starbucks. I was looking at a headline, yeah. Starbucks is a latte liberal until it's not. Well. This is, it's, it's a mean, mean headline, National Review, by the way, uh, not the New York Times. But, but I, I say it, yeah. be, I, oh, I only no. say it because I think that there's a question, is there a way for both to live in harmony? My belief is that we have built a company that is centered around exceeding the expectations of our people and our customers. Right. And that is the vision we have for the future of the company. Let me ask you this. Yes. The other thing that's happened and changed to me and I think to a lot of people in the audience, is that the, the Starbucks experience is yeah. shifting. Yeah. Uh, you used to talk about this third place. Yes. This place where we would all go and have a coffee and there would be a smiling barista who would draw yeah. our, sure. a, a smiley face in our name and we might sit there and use Wi-Fi back when Wi-Fi was, yeah. was, was needed. Um, now everybody is grab and go. COVID's part of that. Mm -hmm. But the whole thing has shifted and changed. Yeah. And so what do you see the future Starbucks being? Well, uh, the good news about answering that question is we have been able through the years to establish multiple types of retail formats in downtown New York, in suburban, in drive through And so in all those different formats, we're meeting a different need state for the customer. Now, we have third place experiences across the country, but drive through is now 50% of our business. 25% of the business is mobile order and pay. And so we have to adapt to the customer. But that is the challenge for any company, to embrace the entrepreneurial spirit of what we have to do to meet the customer where they are. And I, my faith and confidence in our ability to transform the partner experience, customer experience, and store experience is significantly in place. And we're, we're going to be the kind of company that will continue to endure. No, don't forget, we're in 80 other countries besides the U.S. where Starbucks business is so strong. And the other thing is the demand for Starbucks coffee post-COVID is higher today than any other time in our history. 
So even though the third place is not as relevant, the equity of the brand, the loyalty, the trust in, our, in, the, in, in the coffee and the customer experience is as high as it ever was. Um, we were just talking about the economy with Janet Yellen, and I want to get your I'm very sense. very interested in that. I, well, you're living it. So yeah. I, I want to get your sense of what you're seeing yeah. um, from an inflation perspective, from the consumer perspective. Yeah. How healthy or not do you think this economy is? Yeah. Uh, so I just mentioned that our, our, our U.S. business is as strong as it ever has been in terms of each store's performance around the country. But when I look at gas prices at 6 and getting to $7 a gallon, uh, we are on a collision course with time in terms of how long the American consumer, American family, can continue to spend at the level they are. And so uh, it's hard to be optimistic unless there is a plan to get inflation under control. Now, I'm not an economist. I had a great conversation with Secretary Yellen backstage. Uh, and let me just say a few things. Uh, Starbucks has a, a very significant business in China, almost 6,000 stores. And uh, as you know, we, we have spent time together in China, and, mm -hmm. and I've been to China many mm -hmm. times. Uh, the situation today between China and the U.S., uh, it's not directly linked to inflation, but it is linked. And let me just spend a few minutes on that. Uh, first off, I've said publicly that when I speak about China and I speak about Russia, Russia is an enemy of America, full stop. China, in my view, is a fierce competitor. And by the way, you pull, we should say, yeah. you pulled out of Russia. We pulled out of Russia, and we're one of the few companies that are continuing to pay our Russian employees through the end of the calendar year. Okay. How yeah. did you decide to do that? Because yeah. some companies have decided to walk completely. Others have decided to do oh. what you're doing. Um, very you know, the ambassador to Ukraine's here. I don't, I, I don't know what the, the official position of Ukraine would be. I know they're very worried, about, by the way, also about tax dollars. They don't, they don't want any tax dollars being created in Russia. No, that was a very simple decision. I just think... Uh, in, in view of the predatory attack on Ukraine that was unwarranted, we just felt strongly that we couldn't operate in Russia anymore. Very simple. And I think, again, I think when, when you are running a business, you, you can't run a business through the lens of, lens of your values when it's convenient. You have to make decisions all the time because people are watching, especially your own people, about what you stand for. And that was a, a significant decision in which our people were so proud of what, I, what we were doing. Let me go back to China. Yeah. So, uh, to China is a fierce competitor. Now, the, the fact that we are saber-rattling back and forth between China and the U.S. in terms of our diplomacy, which is so unhealthy, is so against what the world needs. The China economy today, not only because of the shutdown in Shanghai, but China, just like the U.S., needs a positive working relationship with the United States, and we do with China. Now, with regard to the $360 billion of tariffs that Trump put on, uh, it is beyond me why the President of the United States does not lift those tariffs today. Now, that is not the answer to inflation, but inflation today is very different in terms of the cause and the effect of inflation in the past. This is a global issue. It's a global issue because of the attack on Ukraine and what's going on with the EU in terms of oil. It's a global issue because of the China and U.S. relationships and the tariffs. And the solutions are 
are on many different levels. And it's not just trying to solve the, the Fed can't alone solve the inflationary problem because it is a global problem. And the President of the United States and, our, and the way we're approaching this is too narrow, too myopic. And to sit here and allow the situation with China to exist is just wrong. I'm going to pivot a little yeah. bit to what you said about at the beginning about capitalism. Yes. Um, and the role of a CEO and a business leader today. You spoke out on all sorts of social issues for a very long time yeah. uh, as the CEO in prior years. Um, and we're at this sort of unique moment right now where there was a period after the, the, the murder of George Floyd um, around issues around voting rights, yeah. somewhat uh, on guns, but probably less so, uh-huh. um, where companies have were speaking out and increasingly aren't. And we're seeing things happening, as I said to the Treasury Secretary earlier, in the state of Texas, for example. We're seeing uh, DeSantis yeah. in, in Florida. We saw what happened in the state of Georgia um, around voting rights with Delta. Uh, and then, obviously, the All-Star game was moving. Yeah. How do, you th- do you think that companies are supposed to be speaking out in an environment where it will have an econ- could have some form of economic retribution? As you said, I... I- for many years, I believed that the responsibility that I had in which so many young people are employed by Starbucks, they were looking for me and looking at the company to stand up for issues that they felt strongly about. Now, just in the last couple of months, we have three ongoing significant issues. We have gun violence and the situation in Duvalde and in Buffalo. We have the upcoming situation with Supreme Court in terms of Roe versus Wade. And we have the ongoing issue of immigration. Those three issues are on the minds of our people. And I can promise you, they're looking at Starbucks and looking at the leaders of Starbucks to stand up for what they believe are consistent with the values and guiding principles of our company. And so, uh, but you can't have it both ways. I think, you, 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 again, it, it can't be convenient. It can't be about ringing the register. It has to be about standing up for what you think is, is what you believe in. I also think in the world we're living in, no company, no CEO can hide. Everyone knows everything. Every, everything you say publicly or privately is out there. And so let's be sure that you're standing up for truth and standing up for what you believe in. And be measured and appropriate, but be truthful. And uh, in all three of those areas, we have stood up and, and talked about the things that we think are, are right. Um, you, know, you know, one thing we, we haven't talked about is, is uh, you, you mentioned earlier about Starbucks stores, and I said it, were designed for a different period. Do you know what the number one issue is in terms of what we are dealing with as a company? Mental health. Mental health. Let me explain. So first off, uh, if you ask our people, what is the, the two or three biggest benefits that Starbucks provides? The number one is Spotify. That's what it is. The second is Lyra Health, and that is mental health that we're providing to our people. But where I'm going is, we serve 100 million people at Starbucks. And there is an issue of, of just safety in our stores in terms of people coming in who use our, our stores as a public bathroom. And, and we have to provide a self, safe environment for our people and our, and our customers. 
and men the, the mental health crisis in the country is, is severe, acute, and getting worse. So how do you deal with that? that That's a hard one. Yeah. I think we, we've got to provide better training for our people. We have, to brought, we have to harden our stores and provide safety for our people. And harden your stores. What do you mean by that? Uh, I don't know if we can keep our bathrooms open. That would be a main, yeah. uh, that would, that would yeah. be a significant cultural shift. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, again, uh, Starbucks is trying to solve a problem and face a problem that is the government's responsibility. And, uh, you know, when I, when I think about the, the issues that we or business is facing and, and the challenge that our people are facing, almost every, every question you ask is a question about what the government's responsibility is. And what I realize more and more is that government is no longer going to solve any of these problems. That the responsibility of a company, going back to why it came back, is a role and responsibility has changed. We have to do more for our people. But you remember I sat with you three or four years ago or five years ago, it was right before right after the Trump tax cuts. Yep. Remember what I said? This is fool's gold. This is not a good thing. And looking back on that, I mean, that, that was not a good decision. Now, Starbucks and other companies benefited from that, but that money did not go to the right place. When you think about recasting the company then, yeah. how much is that gonna cost? Uh, well, uh, we, we have said that we will invest a significant amount of money in the transformation of Starbucks. However, every investment that we have ever made based on advancing our people or improving the experience for our customers has been a significant investment in terms of return on investment for the shareholder. Now put that in perspective. The first day I came back on April 4th, what did I do? And I was wildly criticized for this by your newspaper. And that was, I stopped the billions, billions of dollars of stock buybacks that Starbucks was doing on the day I came back. And that was dilutive to shareholder value. But let me just say something to all of you about stock buybacks. It's nothing more than financial engineering. All it does is increase the, the EPS of a company. Now, on the basis of it, on merit, it's not a bad idea if it's in balance with making the investments based on your people. But that's not what we were doing. And so... The, the issue here is when you buy back your stock, it's about a 10 to 12% gain on shareholder value. We can get significantly higher than that by investing in our people and investing in the store experience. And that's what we're going to do. You have to get your people in the store, and you've had to do that the entire period of COVID. Yeah. Here's about getting your people back in the office. Oh, that's a hot one. <laughs> uh, I, yeah? have, I, have been, I have been unsuccessful despite everything I've tried to do to get our people back to work. You want them back. I mean, there's, you know, there's I want them back. I, I, I pleaded with them. I said, I'll get on my knees. I'll do push-ups, whatever you want. Come back. No, they are not coming back at the level I want them to. And I, you know, we're a very collaborative, creative group. And uh, I realize that uh, I'm an old school person and this is a different generation. And I've been schooled by our people. Don't say too much. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we have to establish a new way of working. And I'm, I, you know, I've embraced it. I've got religion. So you, don't, so you think you're going to actually live a hybrid life? Or your people are? I'm not. I'm in the office at 7 a.m. I leave at 7 at night. I'm trying to make an example. But uh, no, I think people will come back two, three days a week, and that's the way, that's the way it is. But the thing that I am you know, evaluating is what's the level of productivity? And you know, it, it appears that people are working at home. Right. 
Um, you know, it's a different world. We're going to run out of time. Um, That's it? No, no, hold on. You, you currently have a title of CEO, but technically yeah. it's an interim CEO role. Yeah. How long do you really want to do this? What's your real plan? Because some people think that this yeah. really is interim. Some people think this might be a little bit longer than interim. Uh, my plan is to uh, leave the, the interim CEO title at the end of calendar Q1. That's my current plan. Current plan. That's the plan. You got to find another CEO. Yeah, we have. We How are, you doing there? We have a, we have a great uh, uh, group of candidates. I'm inspired by the people I've met. A lot of people want the job. We're being very. What deficient. are you looking for, though? And I, I ask yeah. because you've now come back two times. Yeah. What are you looking for? Honestly. Yeah. Because are you clear- looking for a job? No, no, no. no. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm happily settled. Uh, you know, we're looking for somebody who is culturally sensitive to the values and guided principles of Starbucks, someone who is a servant leader. Howard Schultz, everybody. Thank you. That was a really, really fascinating interview with, with, with Howard. I mean, Andrew, this is it, it just, he is recognizing everything. That is one of the most open exchanges I think I've ever seen, just about embracing some of the difficulties and trying to get his head around it and, and, and retool this whole situation. Um, just the idea of like hardening the stores, what he talked about in the last hour, which basically means not letting everybody who walks in the door use the bathroom. You gotta buy something if you wanna use the bathroom. Um, and it, had to, it has to be so weird with people not going back to work in the big cities. I know people are still going to Starbucks, but it may not be the star, same Starbucks store they used to be frequently fre- frequenting. Are they doing anything to change up stores, or do they think that this is all going to go back and that the stores no, in no. the inner cities will uh, eventually you know, he, get all that traffic he, back? He said that the reason he, he has come back into this role is effectively because he has to reinvent Starbucks. He has to reinvent what he thinks a business leader is even supposed to be and clearly is trying to reimagine even his own role in the way business is conducted, uh, even if it isn't conducted the way uh, perhaps he would have wanted it to be, for example, in terms of people back uh, in the office. There's no question that I think he's rethinking what that third place idea even is, what those stores look like, what the makeup of them is. We've talked about it before. It's gone from hot drinks to cold drinks, which is a completely sort of superstructure in terms of different infrastructure that's required to actually make cold drinks and what that means. Um, again, how, how, how to treat employees. I mean, one of the things we talked about was this, this and I think we've talked about it on this program as well. He's always had this line. If Starbucks can exceed the expectations of its employees, the employees will exceed the expectations of the customer. Well, the expectations of employees have clearly changed. Well, and, and, and by the way, you're not, you're not an artist, a, you know, a barista artist anymore. You are basically on a factory line, like knocking these things out. And you've got to deal with cleaning up the bathrooms. So, and, and, and Andrew, the, the world has changed in the last 100 years. There was a time where workers' rights were, were non-existent. Now, by law, there are many things that unions existed for to, uh, to prevent that are against the law at this point. And if you're over and above what any union is going to get for you, then that's why it's dropped to 6 or 7 or 8 percent. But I, I wouldn't call it the re-education of Howard Schultz. But it, there are certain things, and, and I'm not putting him down for, for changing his mind because that's the old expression. If the facts change, what do you expect me to do, sir? That's, that's an, but, um, you know, talking the talk and walking the walk, sooner or later walking the walk, you run into reality, and reality's a bitch, and it, and it can be something that totally 
you know, we know where a lot of good intentions lead, Andrew. We know where a lot of good intentions lead. They, they pave a path to hell, and I'm not saying he was naive, um, but there's a lot of things we try to do where the best intentions end up hurting the very people that you're trying to, to help. And, but I'm, I'm going to actually, I'm going to take, as you might imagine, I'm going to take the other side of it, which is this. I think he created that reality. He actually created that reality for uh, millions of employ uh, employees at Starbucks, but it, what I was going to say, retail employees around the country and potentially even around the world in terms of, when I say creating that reality, he upgraded the expectation. He, he individually as a pioneer upgraded the expectations of those people by providing health care, by providing education, by providing all of these things. Paying for college. For, in, 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 way, in ways that no other business leader was doing it. He led that. And so, yes, it, I think for him on a personal level, it's disappointing and frustrating to see now the unions and, and, and some employees. But by the way, we should also say just contextually, it's funny. I, I don't know if it's funny. We talk about it every day. There are two, what, close to 300,000 employees at Starbucks. I think there's about 600 or 700 who have actually signed up uh, to either be part of a union or, 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 have, or have indicated that they want to. So no, it's there's sort a, of a contextual thing about the headlines as well going targeting. on. But Andrew, we gave him a, what was our awards we used to give out at, at CMEC? We gave, him the, we gave him the award and I presented it to him and I said, and, I, and, I, and it was pretty funny because I said, you actually got people to me to walk in and say I'd like a non-fat, uh, no foam skim latte with and, and a five dollar scone and give me a, 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 a yeah and give me a CD of, of that jazz musician and then ka-ching all right twenty two dollars for your visit to Starbucks he invented that I mean who, who would have ever paid five or six dollars for a cup of coffee he was a, I mean, what, what he accomplished and how many stores are there now? And he's a young guy still. I mean, it, 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 his, I just like that his accomplishments keep, are. I like that he's going to be the old dog learning new tricks. He's admitting that he's going to reinvent something. And I am, I'm, I'm interested in seeing what he comes up with on this because he's engaged. You a a, a no-foam skim vente latte. What the hell? I didn't even know what that was. But you loved it. But I still get them. Coming up, um, gasoline. So, it, it, you know, kudos to Howard Schultz for, for all those things. But And kudos to Andrew. That was a very interesting it, interview. It, it was. It, it, uh, and the first one he's done, I think, since he went back, as, as we Made said. The first in Dublin. Wasn't it, yeah. uh, Sorkin? Or at least on air. Gasoline prices topping $5 a gallon. Um, still cheaper than a latte uh, in many parts of the country. Not really. Well, sort of. Gas in LA is pretty much on par with a coffee from the celebrity-studded Erewhon market. A little less if you get one of their $11 cochinos. And on Long Island in New York, a grande mocha frappuccino at Starbucks is in fact more by only 20 cents than a gallon of regular gas. Which is why our next story is inflation. Former Senator Heidi Heitkamp on the pressures at American pumps. Now when you look at inflation adjustment, it is the highest gasoline price ever. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod, where Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Rossorkin are covering this inflation nation we're currently in, as I'm sure you've noticed. The national average for gasoline is soaring towards $5, just below $5, it's $4.99. That's the highest level, level ever recorded. It's taking a bite out of consumers' wallets. Uh, joining us now, Heidi Heitkamp, former U.S. Senator of uh, North Dakota. She's founding member of one, the One Party uh, one Country Project, sorry, not one party, although she likes a party, I think, occasionally, right, uh, Heidi, and a CNBC contributor. And Kevin O'Leary, uh, investor, venture capitalist, CNBC contributor, contributor, overall wonderful guy all the time. Four ninety nine, Heidi, makes me laugh. It's like, hey, it's on sale today, Four ninety nine. Not five dollars. Uh, it's rough. It's rough on consumers. And 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 Joe, you know, I used to say that when you inflation adjusted, that that this wasn't the highest price ever. Now, when you look at inflation adjustment, it is the highest gasoline price ever, and it has huge political ramifications. And the question for the Biden administration is, how do you respond to the concerns in ways that consumers will listen? And so this is a big, big issue for the midterms. And a big issue uh, for your, the state you represented, very important uh, to North Dakota. It, it, have you seen a more difficult operating environment uh, since the Biden administration took over? Heidi, are you a person that says it's all just been, uh, you know, uh, free market forces, uh, supply and demand, the pandemic shutdown production? Uh, there's ESG factors. How do you see it? I, I figure your constituents probably wish they'd open up, uh, be a little, not, not slow walk all these things, more leases open, uh, more refineries, more pipelines. You know, Joe, the, the reality is it's all of what you listed. But the question is, how much of that does the president have control over? And right now, the message that we need to send to investors is that this is not a short term problem. It's a long term problem. And investors should feel comfortable um, coming to the table with additional capital for additional drilling. Now, with that said, drilling is up about 60 percent nationwide since Biden took over. You know, I don't blame President Trump for the low drilling rate that was part of the pandemic. Um, but when we look at the growth in drilling rigs, it's there. The problem that we're having is not just certainty in government regulation, it is supply side, you know, or supply chain. Where do we get the manpower? Where do we get the equipment? And then the all important infrastructure, which is the big bottleneck for a lot of oil and gas development. But it, it, that's what I've said, though, though too, Heidi, and that is that. Yeah, it, it can't be solved. We can't fix high gas prices in a week, two weeks, six months. But we're going to be using hydrocarbons in five years. That's, you can't say, well, we, we're going to transition. 
and five years from now we won't need hydrocarbon. We should be making those long-term investments now. We can't have that pipe dream of, of thinking that we're going to transition all the way away from it in five years. So we, we should take that. We should do it now. And, and Joe, you know, one thing that I point out is when we look at what it's going to take to make this conversion in terms of critical minerals, we don't have them. And so there's that, that we've got to get in the reality pool and balance our objectives on climate and energy policy. We're not going to have a sustainable climate policy until we have a sustainable and affordable energy policy. And people need to get in the reality pool. See, uh, Kevin, Heidi, you know, you really probably don't have much of a problem uh, with her. She's a Democrat, but she's in a, an oil producing state. So she's got, you know, she's somewhat reasonable, uh, I would say. But but. What do you, what's your take on all this, uh, Kevin? You know, what's so ironic about this conversation is that her state or ex state is actually the solution to our problems. It's been accused of fracking and very successfully. But this is a unique geology in North Dakota. They have massive salt caves, absolutely huge infrastructure there that allows them to take flared gas, sequester the carbon and push it back underground again. And the citizenship there endorses it because they get paid a royalty if their home is sitting above it. And carbon is inert. Now, why do I even know this? Because I went and saw Bergham last week and, and the senator there as well, Hoven, because I'm seeking clean energy for data centers. And they have one of the most unique states that nobody knows about. I don't know why the president doesn't fly there and point to the future of energy being exactly what they're doing in North Dakota. They still use traditional hydrocarbons, but they sequester the carbon. And they've got the big oil guys spending all the money there, the Exxons and the Chevrons, wanting to do that and point the world to this new solution. We're going to have hydrocarbons for the next 25 years. We need to transition. The messaging coming out of the White House has been exactly not that from the beginning. Shut down Alaska, shut down offshore, shut down the XL pipeline, make the leases next to impossible to get, have uncertain carbon taxes. The whole global infrastructure of energy is based on future forecasts of pricing. It's a global commodity. What the president says really matters. If tomorrow morning he woke up and said, look, just kidding on the shutdown. We're going into a transition mode. We understand that we have to transition. We need energy security and starts talking about, look, we're going to open up that XM pipeline again. We're going to at least license three more uh, refineries. Even if he flies to Saudi Arabia and says, look, let's get more energy over the U.S., we can't refine it. We stopped building refineries decades ago. We need three more licenses immediately. All of these solutions are at his fingertips, but he's in a really big political bind. This $5 a price, and by the way, north of $5 in 21 states right now, is going to affect him in a brutal way in the midterms, as Heidi just suggested. He needs to move now, and you start by jawboning. That's what moves the futures market. You start talking transition. That's the solution. It's at his fingertips. And fly to North Dakota and see what they're doing. Those guys have it right. You know, Joe, we did, um, when I was in the Senate, I, I was uh, instrumental in passing something called 45Q, which I'm sure Kevin uh, is well aware of, um, which is the tax credit for sequestering carbon. We've been sending CO2 up north to the Weyburn field and to Canada for a lot of years. And it was done because it was a valuable commodity. And so we've got to have an honest conversation about how we do this transition and how we make this possible, not just in our country, but for the rest of the world. The reality is that when you look at climate 
and you look at the goal, the, 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 the advances that we've made in climate um, have been because we've converted coal to natural gas when we generate electricity. That's been wiped out by the expansion of the use of coal globally. We've got to have global solutions, but we've got to lead with innovation here in this country, and we've got to be fuel agnostic. And I know that that sounds like I'm trying to protect my state. I'm trying to protect the climate because fuel, being fuel agnostic and making sure that these uh, legacy uh, hydrocarbon industries make the conversion like Vicki has over at Occidental. You know, she's been a leader in carbon sequestration. I, I would just tell you that uh, if, if we don't do it now, we'll suffer the political ramifications if we're Democrats, but we'll also not achieve climate goals and we'll drive up energy prices and risk a global recession. All right, Heidi, uh, Senator Heitkamp, thank you. And, and uh, Mr. Wonderful, good to, uh, to have you on. It's been too long, we'll see you. Uh, I could have you on uh, against, you know, anytime we need a debate from your side, you should be here because you're so good, thank you. Those rising gas prices are included in the economic metric CPI, or Consumer Price Index. This morning, the Bureau of Labor Statistics released the CPI data for May, a highly anticipated number because we as consumers have been watching our gas prices, milk prices, and other goods and services prices rise steeply over the last month. The headline? The Consumer Price Index rose 8.6% in May from a year ago. That's the highest increase since December of 1981. Core inflation, which excludes food and fuel, was up 6%. Both metrics were higher than expected. Here's our senior markets commentator Mike Santoli digesting the news. We were bracing for something uh, that had the potential to be an unfriendly number, and we got it. Unfriendly indeed. Stocks fell on the news. The Dow dropped over 700 points and the Nasdaq was down 3%. And it might not be over. Here's Oxford Economics chief U.S. economist, Kathy Bosjonsik. Remember in March, people were cheering that, oh, we reached the peak in inflation. Well, we just found out today we didn't. Costs of shelter rose too at their fastest pace in 31 years. And rising inflation means declining real wages. Workers are making 3% less on a 12-month basis. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. That is the podcast for today and for the week. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a beautiful weekend. We 
are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.